today on Ag News Daily. Well, going into 23, I want to uh, set up full online booking, pay-as-you-go kind of deal where they will buy some beef from me. Now, I hope to expand my kill so I don't have to take away any from the custom side of guys bringing in so that way I can keep servicing that customer base. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Wednesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. We are getting through the hump of the week, Ashton. We certainly are, Delaney, but you know what? I'm not going to be here on Friday, so really, it's my Friday Eve today. Oh, that's true. It is your Friday Eve. I was thinking about this last night in bed. Do you have a favorite day of the week, Ashton? I think, I mean, aside from the weekend, you know, everybody loves weekends. I I really enjoy Thursdays, especially being in college. You know, that's Thirsty Thursday, and I (laughs) get to hang out with all my friends and that kind of stuff. So I, I would say Thursday. Yeah, I was thinking about that last night and I was like, do I like Wednesday better or Thursday? And I was a little torn because Thursday is Friday Eve, like you said there. But I don't know. I just really like Wednesdays because you are almost to the weekend. You know, the really crazy people are the ones that like Mondays. Oh, yeah. I I don't know any of those people. I don't want to know any of those people. Mondays are my least favorite day of the week. So I can't relate at all on that front. But today is Wednesday. It's also a WASD report day. Ashton, would you mind indulging me here and let me run through some of those numbers we saw today? Go ahead. I feel bad because I completely forgot it was WASD day. (laughs) Well, You know, this one is probably one to forget if there was one you were going to forget because this one really was kind of a snoozer. Didn't do much to buck the markets today. It was really in line with what analysts were expecting. So really the only notable change as far as ending stocks for the U.S. went was a little bit of a reduction in soybean ending stocks compared to the January report. However, it was pretty much right in line with analyst expectations. Wheat ending stocks increased just slightly and corn remained the same compared to January's report. Really, the most notable change that we saw today was what USDA did with the Brazilian production, and they did officially cut Brazilian soybeans to come in at 134 million metric tons, which was down another 5 million metric tons from last month and was similar to the adjustment that was made overall in in January. So the question now is whether or not, again, USDA cut Brazilian production enough? Because as you know, Ashton, we're continuing to watch weather down there, harvest season down there. And so, you know, once we get through today's market trade for WASD, it's expected to, we're expected to see the market turn our attention back to South American weather once again. Well, Delaney, I'm going to turn our attention here to the Super Bowl. I feel like I don't see a whole lot of ag commercials on the Super Bowl, and it might just be my location, but Illinois residents who are watching the Super Bowl this year are going to get a look at how corn is being used as a solution to some global climate change issues. The Illinois Corn Marketing Board said that they are going to air a commercial during the game about the use of corn in bioplastics. Board member Roger Sai said that it has to do with the bioplastic containers that we see 
for carry out food and things like that from restaurants. And this commercial will show how corn is making those more biodegradable to break down easier and quicker in landfills and make things a lot better there. He says that they are also hosting a takeout takeover to interact with consumers in the Chicago area. And I thought that this was pretty interesting. You know, I'm going to have to YouTube this since I'm not an Illinois resident. The 30 second ad will air on five regional stations and the Chicago area this Sunday. Yeah, you're right. They don't, aside from, you know, obviously Dodge and Budweiser, they don't usually incorporate a lot of farm or agricultural references in Super Bowl commercials. And in my opinion, Ashton, over the last couple of years, I think we've really seen a decline in the quality of Super Bowl ads. I would have to agree with you. I can't pinpoint any that stand out in particular to me. Of course, like the early 2000s when I was a kid, the super funny ones, I always Mm -hmm. remember. But one of my favorite ones from the, you know, the past couple of years was the Mr. Peanut commercial where he got killed and, and Baby Nut came in and he was like all of... Uh, the the peanut world because of the baby Yoda thing that came out in 2020. Do you remember that one? Uh, I mean, maybe really vaguely. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but that one really stuck out to me. I enjoyed that one. Yeah, I usually like the Doritos commercials. Those have been pretty funny in the past, you know, when someone reaches over and grabs someone else's hand and licks the Dorito cheese off of people's fingers. It's probably one of my favorites, but with COVID that's really probably not all that sanitary to lick cheese off of (laughs) someone else's finger. So I'm doubting we see any ads like that, but Ashton speaking of COVID, you know, I mentioned the trucker strike or multiple strikes that are going on in Canada and worldwide. And that poses the question, you know, how do we move forward and can we live with COVID? And that's been a question before policymakers around the world, as we're continuing to see a lot of nations fight now COVID vaccination requirements. And people in England, for example, are no longer legally required to self-isolate starting in February if they have COVID-19. I thought that was interesting. Uh, So England would be or is going to be the first major economy to replace legal requirements to self-isolate with guidance. And I think it's only a matter of time. You know, it's speculated that we're going to see a lot of restrictions lifted across the U.S. as well, following suit to what England is doing. And it's going to be an interesting process here to see how we start to reopen and readjust these standards as more major economies uh, start to push for these types of lifted requirements and restrictions. That is very interesting, Delaney. I wish you could have seen my face when you said that piece of news. Yeah, well, I thought it was interesting, too. I'd kind of heard rumors about England uh, lifting some of those restrictions. And obviously, there's still countries with extreme measures in place, China, Australia, others. But a lot of them are starting to say, hey, this we can't continue moving on like this. You know, it's crazy to think it's going to be three years, Ashton, here. Three years, right? Or two years, two years in March. And honestly, it surprises me that England is going to be the first one to really do this because Europe was hit pretty hard back when things were really in full swing. That's true. They, yeah, absolutely were some of 
the first to shut down and put in a lot of different restrictions. But yeah, you know, at this point, we're living through this for multiple years now. At some point, we have to figure out an alternative solution. So it seems like countries are well on their way to doing that. Well, Delaney, going to bring things back here to the U.S. as we have seen another case of bird flu hit an Indiana turkey flock. This is reportedly the first case in a commercial poultry operation since 2020. I know that we had some cases earlier this year, but apparently those weren't on commercial poultry operations. I can't exactly remember the the details of those cases. Well, Ashton, I think a lot of those cases were random birds that were found. Uh, Yes, I I think that you are right. I couldn't place my finger on it, but the infected turkey flock in Indiana suffered increased mortality, according to the USDA, but they don't think that it's that big of a health concern right now, especially to people. So I don't think that they're paying too close attention to this at the moment. No, I would agree with that. I really haven't heard a ton of organizations uh, crying foul crying wolf, whatever, (laughs) as of yet. Did you like that reference there? That was a little reference to like your childhood fairy tales. I did. I liked that one. That was a good dad joke. Thank you. I thought so too. Um, But yeah, I don't remember what I was saying other than my dad joke now, but I do have one final piece of news, Ashton, and that is an announcement or an update here for the wheat industry. UC Davis has pledged a five-year, $15 million research project to accelerate wheat breeding because they are saying that as we are seeing new changes in the industry, wheat crops need to be able to withstand new weather patterns and keep up with consumer demand. A UC Davis science professor said that everything is less stable and everything is changing so you need to be fast. You need to be able to adapt fast. Uh, This will also be a partial grant from the USDA's National Institute of Food and Agriculture, which will bring together wheat breeders and researchers from 22 different institutions in 20 states. So this is more than just a UC Davis effort, but certainly some exciting news there for wheat production. Delaney, just another piece of news from me here. This is my last one before we really get into the markets and our interview for today. And it's coming out of Missouri. Don Nicodem, who is the executive director of the Missouri Pork Association, says that county-led lawsuits that began as an attempt to regulate swine farms at the local level is likely on its way to the Missouri Supreme Court. Nicodem told Brownfield Ag News that Missouri pork is involved in the litigation against Cooper and Cole counties in Missouri in their fight against Senate Bill 391, which prevents county ordinances from being more stringent than state regulations. He was quoted as saying that goes back to regulating what counties can and can't do in terms of implementing rules and regulations without any scientific basis. Cole County Circuit Judge Daniel Green struck down the case last year, but Nicodem said the group's fight isn't yet over. So they are taking this to an even higher level. Well, Ashton, this is just one of many court cases I'm sure we're going to see within the pork industry. You know, of course, we've got Prop 12 question marks as well. So 
certainly hope those shake out in ag's favor. But one thing that shook out in producers' favor today was commodity market prices. What do you say we take a look here at where those ended for today? Let's do it, Delaney. Fantastic. Well, we got kind of a short-term push higher for soybeans, a short-term push lower for corn and wheat. But all in all, markets did finish higher on the day today. March corn up 13 and a quarter cents, closing at 6.45 and a half. Dece new crop corn up five and three quarters cents, closing the day at 5.87 and three quarters. Hopping over into the soybean pits today, we saw the March contract up 23 and a quarter cents, closing at 15.92 and a quarter. November new crop soybeans up 22 and a quarter cent, closing at 14.35 and a quarter. In the wheat pits today, that strength continued as the March Chicago contract closed five and a quarter cent higher at 784. The May up five and a quarter cent, closing at 789 and a quarter. Hopping over into the livestock markets today, we saw strength across the entire protein complex. April live cattle added $1.65, settling at $147.82. The June up a buck 22, closing at $142.47. March Feeder cattle up a buck 40 today, closing at 168.27 and a half. The April up 80 cents, closing at 172.57 and a half. And in the lean hog markets, April added 97 cents today, closing at $1.04. The May up 145, closing at 108.95. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. March today up 43 cents, closing at 22.11. The April up 65 cents, closing at 22.54. Ashton, without further ado, I'm excited to be chatting today about a new, we'll call it entrepreneur in the meat processing industry. Well, folks, I'm very excited to share today's interview and story with Calvin Vogel, who's got a very interesting background. And you may follow along with him on social media. He's on Twitter at Vogel, Iowa. And Calvin, thank you, first of all, so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So Calvin, I follow you on Twitter. And, you know, a couple weeks ago, you posted a really cool tweet on Twitter talking about how you'd fulfilled a dream finally to purchase a locker in Gilbertville, Iowa, which I want to get to here in just a second. But you wear a lot of hats besides just now your newest endeavor into the meat processing industry. Tell us a little bit about your farming operation and all the different hats that you wear. Well, I grew up on a farm here in Northeast Iowa, cattle, hogs. When we were growing up, we had feral to finish pigs. We fished out fat cattle, then uh, the usual corn, beans, and a little hay. Then after college, came worked a couple odd jobs as I was still farming. Then I came back home, finishing out cattle with dad and myself, both him have his own, mine, my own also, kind of separate but together. Then we also uh, raised crops, my uncle. But uh, basically, I just got tired of just taking a price from Tyson and obviously you can hedge, you can play the markets that way, but I wanted to be able to control my, I guess, going out dollar, you know, set a floor for myself. So a couple of years ago, I started looking around at building a locker or a kill plant, whatever you want to call it in my home area. And that's pretty pricey to do. And without a base of customers, the banks are not real keen on borrowing to a guy without a background other than a few uh, meat science classes from South Dakota state. So I started talking 
talking to some local locker guys and one conversation turned into, well, why don't you just buy this one? And he said it half joking, but that led to one thing to another. And I ended up buying it here this last month or January, I guess you could say. So I just wanted a way to control some of my kill of cattle wise, you know, final, final dollar process, basically. So Calvin, you've really only been doing this for about a month or so. So what has the experience been like so far? Is it everything that it's really lived up to be? Uh, it's, it's been something I've a lot of learning going on. Uh, main thing is just being the head guy for, I mean, we got six or seven full-time employees and four part-timers. That's actually been a breeze. They had a really good core group of people here. They're hard workers. They know what they're doing and I don't have to really give them a whole lot of oversight. So that's been nice. But then just the USDA side, all the forms you got to fill out, tax side, just a lot of a lot of interests and a lot of stuff that I really didn't know about. I'm kind of flying by the wing, but it's working out. I got a guy hired around the day to day. So when I go planting here in two months, he can take care of all that and I won't really have to be around and it's going to run perfectly well. But uh, yeah, it's been a learning process for sure. Yeah, it certainly sounds that way. And I know we are, we've recorded this interview at about 8 p.m. at night because you have such a hectic schedule between livestock, family, all of the other things that go along with that. And of course, also the locker. But talk to us a little bit more about the structure of the locker. Obviously, you spoke from experience. You were tired of taking a price from the Packers. But talk to us about how you anticipate to handle slaughter production or harvest production. Will you be going out and finding producers in your area to bring livestock in? Or are you keeping it all based on your own herd? What does that look like? Uh, basically, this, this locker has been open since the 50s, 1950s. So we're going to keep our main base of guys, you know, all the different farmers around that bring in their own custom kill, especially in the pork side. But going into 23, I want to uh, set up full online booking, pay-as-you-go kind of deal where they will buy some beef from me. Now, I hope to expand my kill so I don't have to take away any from the custom side of guys bringing in. So that way I can keep servicing that customer base while also uh, building my own more of a direct-to-consumer type base out of the water of the Cedar Falls area, the surrounding communities. So Calvin, you mentioned there that this operation has really been around since the 50s, and that's quite some time. So what does the inside of, of this locker look like? Did you have to replace a ton of stuff, or are you really just keeping the roots there? Uh, it's old. It's definitely an old building. <laughs> I already spent about 20 grand I wasn't expecting on spending on different equipment, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. I got another 300K I could spend tomorrow if I had the full funds right in front of me, but it's just going to be a process over the next two years. I'm probably going to take every dollar I make, put it right back into the building, update some systems, update the interior, get a better retail area, and then update uh, equipment. So it's not so manual. I mean, everything's done by hand still. They're kind of a little behind the times I would say, but I think a lot of lockers are probably like this, but uh, we're just going to find the bottlenecks, fix the bottlenecks and go on from there. Now, Calvin, you mentioned that aside from a meat science class uh, in college and obviously having your own personal experience raising livestock, it's been a learning curve for you. And it sounds like you have a great team there to support you. But what are some things that you've learned so far in your experience that have surprised you or been an experience to learn? Uh, I guess, I don't know. There's there's a lot. 
if I was coming straight to the top of my head that I'm basically living off of beef sticks and cheese curds, <laughs> not a lot of time to eat other than that. I kind of grab my cooler and go, but, uh, the customer base part, I mean, we got a lot of EBT customers. I was not expecting that living this close to Waterloo, Cedar Falls, you know, food stamps. And that's a four to six wait period from the USDA to get your license or your application number in. And I still don't have that. So I've turned down quite a bit of business for that reason. Wasn't expecting that. Uh, just dealing with certain customers. I had a little bit of a challenge here and there. People don't like change and I'm changing some things. So they haven't liked that. But at the same time, I've also had a lot of people really excited over updating, modernizing the whole thing too. So Calvin, you're kind of entering the meat locker game. I would say it may be a, a strange time, you know, because of the COVID-19 pandemic and some other things, of course, going on in the meat industry. So how are you handling it all, you know, doing the uh, straight to customers thing? You know, people want to buy from smaller packers. So what has that experience been like? Uh, so far, so good. I had a lot of people ask if I'm bringing my own cattle in and they're excited for it being, you know, the local home raise, that kind of thing. But we, I mean, I walked into a business that was pretty well fully booked through 2022. So it's been kind of easier where I haven't had to go out and find my first customer and then build from there. So I'm really focusing on keeping 2022 booked or even adding a couple beef a week if we get the employees in. And then uh, looking at 23, we're really going to push our marketing, push the online presence where they can book online, pay online, deliver you know, straight to them, you know, kind of do that contactless delivery system that other companies are pushing. But instead of having it, you know, sourced in Australia beef, like one of the major ones that uh, delivered to your door, I want to source here, raised in Iowa, fed in Iowa, you know, killed in Iowa, delivered to your door. Calvin, it sounds like you have some really awesome goals in mind for the business here in the short term, but let's say five, 10 years down the road, when you're looking back at this experience, what is going to define success or what's going to make you look back and say, man, that was awesome. I'm so glad I did that. Where do you hope to be? Uh, I hope to be at about 20, 25 beef a week and just keeping the thing rolling and uh, have a better retail spot and keep the team I got together and building on it and just running a successful business, you know? Absolutely. Like yeah. And I think, you know, this, your, your journey into this is obviously coming at such a great time because we've seen, you know, a lot of different USDA grants come to light now to encourage small and medium sized lockers like yours. And a lot of consumers demanding that direct to, you know, market route. So I think uh, it's going to be an interesting journey. We've certainly enjoyed talking to you today. And before I let you go, Calvin, if any of our listeners are in Iowa or just want to learn more about you and your locker, where can they go to find out a little bit more information? Uh, you can go to gilbertvillemeatlocker.com or go to our Facebook page. I believe that's also just called the Gilbertville Locker. So either Google Gilbertville Locker, Gilbertville Meat Locker, and you'll be able to find us. Fantastic. Well, Calvin, we certainly appreciate you squeezing us into your busy schedule and wish you all the best with the locker. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
Thanks again there to Calvin for coming on and chatting with us about what his experience has been like buying that meat locker. I think it's an interesting time for you know small and medium-sized lockers right now. And I wish Calvin all the best of luck. And you know, Delaney, nobody really knows this, but we recorded that at 8 p.m. And I think that he was still in office at that time. I think you are probably correct. He is a busy guy. I didn't realize this either, but he's actually pretty close to where Blaine's farm is. So I don't know if we ever get into the cattle business someday, Ashton, we have a locker to go to. Well, that is certainly good news, Delaney. And good news is, folks, that we are having two more episodes this week on Thursday and Friday. So be sure to tune in at agnewsdaily.com before heading into your weekend. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.